Well, why don't we start off uh, with some prayer. Father God, we just want to thank you that uh, we are able to, to gather here together and open up your word and to know that you will speak to us through it because your word is alive. Uh, it is full of, of truth and wisdom and power. Uh, it is uh, so insightful in our everyday lives. And so we thank you for it. And we thank you that as we uh, come to it, that we can uh, pray as one uh, this prayer that we will say together now that will be up on the screen because I myself have not memorized it yet. And so it will be there. Yes, hunger's got the hang of it. There it is. Uh, and together, we confess that we need your word. In it, you reveal who you are and your will for all. We know it's a beautiful truth that brings life. We submit our hearts and our minds to you now. Transform us that we might never be the same again. Amen. Uh, we're looking at the Beatitudes. And we started this series right back in January where we looked at the first four Beatitudes. And as we look at those, uh, there's some wonderful things shared there. Blessed uh, are those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And the beatitude we'll be focusing on this morning. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Wonderful words. And uh, as Reese mentioned last week, these really stand as a, a kind of a manifesto or a statement of intention regarding the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is coming and Jesus has come to proclaim it. And the kingdom of God, if we can take anything from this, is a kingdom that's all about blessing. It's there to bring blessing to us. Now, just to get this out of the way from the very beginning, the type of blessing that is being spoken of here is not material blessing. It's not wealth, it's not prosperous blessing, it's not about things that, that we get or receive or, or can, can have, uh, because these are the types of blessings that cannot be taken from you so easily. We can lose money, we can lose houses and property and wealth uh, quite easily, really. Um, but the type of blessing that's spoken of here is a happiness, a deep-seated happiness that we possess internally, something that is ours that cannot be taken from us that can never, we can never be separated from. It's a kind of wonderful blessing, the kind of blessing that, that people long for. And there's many types of blessings, as we've just uh, read through the first five of those Beatitudes. But what does this blessing of mercy, what, what's that all about? That God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. They will be shown mercy. Who here needs mercy? Yes, absolutely. I need mercy. You all need mercy. Uh, this is uh, also the only reflexive, I'm going to call it the reflexive beatitude. Uh, now, what that means is if you look at it, uh, all the other beatitudes will speak about blessings that will come to people, that um, it's not dependent on anything you do. But this one, there's a, a reflexive action in here in that if you are merciful you will be shown mercy. So it's dependent upon you. 
uh, that God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's sort of a, a two-way thing. Uh, what does that mean? If you don't show mercy, you will not be shown mercy, which is exactly what James 2 verse 13 tells us. It says something very similar, but it says it this way. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Reminds me of that parable Jesus tells of the the man who owes a great debt to the king. And uh, the king has him arrested and brings him in and says, you know, you haven't paid this debt. And he says, oh, please uh, be merciful. And the king says, okay, look, I'll let you off this time. And uh, forgives him an entire uh, debt, a huge debt that he's owed. Uh, but this same man then goes out and finds someone who owes him just a measly few dollars and says, hey, you, give me my money and, and holds him to account over it. And uh, the king gets wind of this, of course, and says, <laughs> I just let you off millions of dollars and you're holding this guy to account? Get to jail. Um, you don't show mercy, you're not going to receive it. Uh, we kind of, that makes sense to us, doesn't it? Uh, if, if that was you, uh, you wouldn't. Yeah, you'd be very reluctant to show mercy to someone who wasn't showing mercy to others. Um, you'd want to stick it to them. But we all need mercy. Uh, but what exactly is mercy? When we think of the Bible and, and what it has to say about mercy, not just what we, we take to, to mean by it. When we think about mercy, we can't really understand it unless we first understand justice. Now, all of us have a strong sense of justice, don't we? All of us have a strong sense of justice. If I came up to you and slapped you across the face right now for no good reason, what, what would rise up in you? <laughs> I, I dare say not many of you would say, thank you, Pastor James, that's, that's exactly what I needed. Th- thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but, but you must, you obviously know what you're doing. Uh, no, no, you would go, how dare you? You know, anger and, and resentment and, and uh, you know, you would, the sense of injustice. Why did you do that? That was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. It would rise up. All of us have this sense of injustice that rises up within us. And as we think about justice, I want to think of it this way. That justice is all about getting what we deserve. You know, why would you slap me? Because I didn't deserve that. That was wrong. Uh, and so justice is all about getting what we deserve. When the Bible speaks about kings and rulers and authorities, when we think of our own governments and leaders, um, what's the one thing the Bible and, and we kind of expect from leaders? We expect them to provide justice, that they will rule justly, that they will be fair. Uh, in Australia, we love using that word, don't we? Fairness, that, that people would have a fair go. That that's the kind of country we want to live in, a just uh, country where people get a fair go, where they're not discriminated against by on, the, on the, their gender or their race or ethnicity, that they are given a fair go, that everyone is shown the same dignity and has the same opportunity. That's, that's what Australia is all about, uh, a fair go. We get justice. We get um, the importance of it. What does society look like if we ignore justice? Well, it's a pretty unsafe place, isn't it? Uh, if you can do whatever you want and there's no consequences, that's not the kind of world I want to live in. We kind of just naturally get justice. No one denies it. No one argues against it. In fact, Plato argued that it was one of the four principal virtues in life, that these four virtues uh, were very important. 
And this was one of them. You can't have good society without it. So we get justice, getting what we deserve. But there's a problem with justice. You see, justice is good. We need it. But let me tell you this. If all of those relationships in your life that are special to you, if, if the people you love, if your friends, if those relationships were based purely on justice, you, you wouldn't have too many friends. <laughs> you wouldn't have too many people to love. Because you see, the problem with justice is it's not enough. There's an old saying that goes, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. That makes sense. If everyone got what they deserved, we'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? Because you know as well as I do that there's times I don't deserve love. I don't deserve forgiveness. There's nothing I've done that's earned it. I'm not, I'm not immeasurably likable. I'm not likable enough that you, I deserve to be forgiven for every wrongdoing I do. I know there's times where I've hurt people, where I've said harsh things, where I have, have, have done things that I'm not proud of. And those things don't deserve a loving response. They deserve to be called out for what they are. You deserve the natural consequences of those. I don't deserve it if I'm um, particularly grumpy towards Louise. You know, I don't deserve love there, do I? No. Relationships need more than justice. They need mercy. In fact, every good relationship we, we have requires mercy. Uh, Now, if we look at what we will define as mercy, it's not getting what you deserve. That I might be grumpy or sour or uh, frustrated, I may speak unkindly or I may let people down by my inaction or passivity at times. Um, Mercy is saying, you know what, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And every relationship that we value... Has, has that as part of it, isn't it? That we're shown love, that we're shown forgiveness, all those words that were shared before when we thought about mercy, that we're given a second chance, that we're not written off, that we are allowed to re-engage relationally. Uh, that's mercy. Now, there's a problem with mercy as well. You see, it's very hard to morally justify mercy. Because mercy is essentially saying that you don't get what you deserve. And fundamentally, we all agree, you should get what you deserve. Shouldn't we? Not getting what we deserve seems to run contrary to that. But that's not fair, is it? That's just not fair. And in fact, research has done a bit of work in this. So uh, we we see this at at play mostly in a legal framework, so in the the court system. So they've done research on judges who are particularly lenient uh, or in in parts of the country where uh, leniency is used more often. And so leniency is another word for for mercy, really. It's saying, you know, you've been found guilty, but I'm going to be lenient. 
you're not going to get what you deserve, I'm going to reduce that. And there may be reasons for that, and, and judges are very good at justifying why they give reasons, and uh, they're probably good reasons. Uh, but they've found where, where there is more leniency, what happens to crime rates? Well, actually, it goes up. Because uh, what signal does that give to, to criminals? I can get away with it. I, I, I can do the wrong thing. I can be found guilty, and yet I don't have to cop the consequences. Woohoo! Um, and, and I get away with it. Now, that's not to argue the opposite is true, that the, the less leniency that crime reduces. Um, it's just an observation. And there, there is this, there's this tension, isn't there, between being fair and, and people getting what they deserve and, and, and being merciful and lenient. And there are some who would argue that mercy is actually immoral, that it's not right. How can you argue that not getting what you deserve is, is right and good? How is that good? Anyone relate to that? <laughs> you go, yeah, no, I want... You should get what you deserve. You should get what you deserve. Now, the only problem with that is that we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Uh, if we take it to a, a, a biblical level, um, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We're all guilty. We deserve death. So are we to get what justice demands? Should we be executed, relegated to death? That's justice. But God comes in with mercy, doesn't he? Mercy comes into the picture. Without mercy, we're all goners. Now, to fill out this picture, you need grace, the third one. Uh, so if you're thinking, if, if you're like me, naturally you go, okay, getting and not getting, two categories, and what we deserve and what we don't deserve, another two. Okay, so there should be four boxes, shouldn't there? Four options. Where's the we don't get what we don't deserve one? Anyone else thinking that? But that's a double negative, so it means the same as justice. We get what we deserve. If you don't get what you don't deserve, you're getting what you deserve. So double negative. So there's only three, really. Um, so grace there, though, is that other option, uh, that we actually get what we don't deserve. And this is the, the differentiation, because sometimes when you're reading the Scriptures, mercy and grace, they're a little interchangeable. It's like, is it mercy? Is it grace? What, what is it there? This is just a way I find it a little easy to... So mercy is saying, no, 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 you deserve death but I'm not going to give you that. But then grace says, but not only will I not give you that, I'm going to, to bless you and give you inheritance into the kingdom and I'm going to give you sonship and, and daughtership rights and I'm going to give you blessings on top of all this, even though you don't deserve it. You deserve death. I'm not going to give you that, but I'm going to give you so much more. Uh, that's the full picture. But that's where mercy fits into it, not getting what we deserve. But how moral is mercy? How moral is it? I want to answer that question today. Uh, how moral is it? Who says showing mercy is a good thing? Because there are many nations, many communities and cultural groups around the world um, that will not have mercy as a virtue. Uh, so there's many uh, worldviews out there that would say, no, 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 people deserve what they get. Um, if you've travelled in parts of Asia, you will see how those people treat they're poor, how they will treat those who are orphans or widows. You will see how they show mercy to those in need. Um, it's very different to how we show it, isn't it? There's very little 
mercy shown. There's a recognition that, no, well, you get what you deserve. It's called karma. Uh, and so that's your lot in life. I don't know how, I'm not obliged to help at all. That's their lot. I just need to look after myself. Um, you see it all around the world. Not everyone believes mercy is something that should be aspired to. And so, how moral is mercy? Well, I want to put this little logical framework in your mind. Now, I'm going to stretch your brains a little bit here. I don't think it stretches it too much. Um, But in all the world, most people would agree to these three propositions. Number one, if there's evil. Now, I don't know anyone in the world who... You'll get plenty of people who will say there's no such thing as good. But when you ask people, is there such thing as evil... Most people will go, absolutely, yeah, 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 I can point to evil things, that's evil. But most people are very happy to point out that something is evil. So if there is evil in the world, then there must be good. That, that's just a statement of fact. Um, if you're ready to say something's evil, then you must have something to compare that to, that is not evil, uh, and that is good. So if there's no evil in the world, there must be good. Proposition two, if there is good, then there must be a moral law. There must be something saying that that is good. There must be some reason, some, some either rule or um, law dictating that is universally accepted that this is, is good because there is evil and therefore there's good. So there must be something, there must be a reason it's good. Proposition three, if there's a moral law, then there's a moral law giver. Now, if you sit down and think about these three things, it's coherent. There's a, a validity about it. Uh, and most people will, will not have a problem agreeing to these three things. Where people will differ mostly is on that third one about who is the moral lawgiver. Who's the moral lawgiver? And so I want to look just very briefly, because uh, this might be new territory for some people, it might be old territory for others, um, but generally in contemporary ethics, uh, when we speak about morality, there's generally five approaches to working out whether something is right or wrong, whether something's good or evil. Uh, five approaches. These are the five. So in courts of law, in, in classrooms, um, in our own homes, as I, as I describe these things, these things will probably make sense to you. You probably would never call them these things, but in you, you go, oh yeah, that's how I work out whether it's right or wrong. I mean, how do I work out whether it's right or wrong to give my children two hours of, of screen time a day or five hours? You know, we, we follow, five obviously for you, yeah, yeah. Um, but see, I want to say you're wrong, <laughs> But why? Why is it wrong? What do I use to work out whether that's right or wrong? Um, so here's five approaches to working out uh, right or wrong. And this is not Christian at all. This is you know, any university and, and study ethics, and this is what you'll, you'll come across. Here's the five. The utilitarian approach. So this basically says you need to sit down and work out what is the greatest good for the greatest number of people. That, that's how you work out right or wrong. So if something will lead to good outcomes for the majority of people, then, then that is what's right. It's the utilitarian approach. Uh, so if the bulk of people in this room believe that it is good that, um, I don't know, 
you sit on the floor, you'd all be sitting on the floor and you'd feel left out if you weren't sitting on the floor. You know why? Well, because that's what we think is right for... The majority of us think that's right. That, that's just the way it is. Um, and so the utilitarian approach, the greatest good for the greatest number of people. doesn't mean it's always right for some people. <laughs> for some people, it's going to be terrible. Uh, and for others, it's going to be great. But because more people will benefit, then that makes it right. Uh, that's one approach. You, you, and as I'm explaining these, you'll see the loopholes, won't you? Some, some of you will go, that's a terrible way to work out what's right or wrong. Um, some of you will go, yeah, I, I do that all the time. Number two, the rights approach. So people have the right to choose freely what they'll do with their lives. Uh, so they have a fundamental moral right for the choices to be respected. So this is about people have the right to choose what's right for them. Now, as long as that choice does not impinge on someone else's right to choose, then they should be free to choose that, and that's right. That, that's how we work out what's good and what's, what's bad. Um, so things like the right to truth, the right to privacy, that's someone's right. They have the right to keep that to themselves. That's about human dignity and, and respect for individuals. And so the right to privacy is based on this right rights approach. Actions are wrong to the extent they violate the rights of individuals. So if you're going to do something and it violates somebody's rights, personal individual rights, then that's wrong. That, that, that's what makes that wrong. Number three, the fairness or justice approach. Um, this one's kind of self-explanatory. How fair is an action? Does it treat everyone as equals or does it show favouritism or discrimination? So if government's looking at implementing a law but it discriminates against certain people, then there would be an argument to say, well, no, that's not a good law because it's unfair, it's unjust. And so we would consider that bad. Number four, the common good approach. What does society say is good? Still, like the, the what's best for everybody, uh, but the common good approach. What does society say is good? Uh, and then, if society says that this is good, this is the accepted standard of behaviour, then we all have to to do likewise. So, in our house, the majority say that two and a half hours a day on screens is all you get. Um, well, the people that matter anyway. So, I mean, see, we break every rule in it. Yeah, it's, it's unjust. It's, it's not the rights of the individual choice. It's not the common good approach. Um, and, it's, but, and it's certainly not utilitarian. Um, but then there's the virtue approach, number five. Uh, and the virtue approach assumes that there are certain ideals towards which we should strive which provide for the full development of our humanity. So we have a clear picture of what the best type of human could be. That's what we should aspire to. That's what's good. And so people will use these five approaches. And you, you often ask all these questions in working out whether something is good or right. So yes, we don't believe children um, or any humans should be addicted to screens. That's a virtue we hold. So we would make that decision based on virtue. That You can't watch more than two hours a day of screens. Um, because we don't believe that's good for human flourishing. So there you go. We've got good reason for it. Um, now, can you see how you use all these different types of things to make your decisions in everyday life? Um, and you, you different ones for different things. And um, Now, when we come to that question of who is the moral lawgiver, the world will look at these, and if you look at these, you can quite easily put, we are the moral lawgivers in that place, can't you? 
that we decide. That's just we either individually or we collectively or, or we through um, others' ideas, other virtues that have, have sort of risen to the top throughout history as seemingly good virtues, that, that we are the moral givers. We determine what's right and wrong. The Christian, though, has a different perspective on that. The Christian says, no, 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 we don't determine what is good and right. God does. He is the moral lawgiver. He is the one who dictates what good is and what evil is, what right and wrong is. He's the one who dictates that. And as we look to answer this question, how moral is mercy? There are plenty of times where, where people can quite easily justify why not showing mercy is right and good. That's how we get dictators and um, all sorts of atrocities taking place in the world. As people justify it, they tell themselves we're doing the right thing and this is good for the world, the planet, for me, for us as a nation or a country or as a people group, however you like. But, but people can justify all sorts of things. We don't say, no, 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 morality's not about us, it's about God. And God dictates it. And so what is merciful? Is, merciful? is mercy moral? We would have to say yes. We would have to answer yes to that question. Why? Because as we look to the scriptures, we look at the character and nature of God. And as we look to him, we can look to verses like uh, Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. It says this about God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. God is so rich in mercy. God embodies mercy. It is part of his very nature. It is who he is. I, I can think of plenty of stories where we see Jesus epitomizing mercy. Think of the woman caught in adultery. People have come to stone her to death. They've got stones in their hands. They've brought them with them. They drag her before Jesus. Now, they're not really about enacting justice here. They're not really concerned about um, fulfilling the law here. All they're trying to do is catch Jesus out. They're, they're trying to trap him. So they bring this woman caught in adultery. Where the man is, we have no idea, but they bring the woman. Now, Jesus, what does the law say we need to do this woman? Uh, now, the Lord says to, she needs to be stoned to death. Old Testament stipulation. Um, but Jesus sits there and bends down, starts writing in the sand. Writes, we have no idea what he wrote. Um, whether it was names, sins, Old Testament references. We, we have no idea what he writes down. But whatever it is, um, I'm sure it was profound. I'll ask him one day when I see him. Um, but what we do read is that Jesus says to them, he's, after he finishes writing, he looks up and says, He who is without sin, you know, you cast the first stone. And, and one by one, you know, boom, 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 rocks hit the ground and then people just leave and walk off. And, you know, and the woman looks up going, what's happening? And says, well, you know, all your condemners have gone, you know, and neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Um, he's not letting off sin. He doesn't say sin doesn't matter, but he shows mercy, he embodies it. This is who Jesus is. Uh, when I think of Jesus showing mercy where it's at its best would have to be when you're looking at Jesus on the cross. Here he is, 
It's like a game of mercy, isn't it? Here he is, being crushed by the world, by those who would torture him, pinned by his hands to the cross, pinned by his feet, thorn of crowns piercing his head. The lashings and the beatings uh, have caused the flesh to be ripped from his body with blood pouring down him as he's struggling to take breath. There he is suffering unjustly, suffering um, taunts and humiliation of nakedness and, and abuse being hurled at him from the crowd as the, everyone around him, apart from a small portion, are there to watch him die. Why? Because he dared love people, because he dared speak out against authorities and those who would abuse power. As Jesus Christ sat there on the cross, the words that come from his mouth are profound. I can imagine if I was in his situation, what would you be crying out? If you could ask God the Father, your Father in heaven, who has all power and authority on earth to do whatever he wants, if you were to cry out something at that point in time, when you were suffering so unjustly, what would you cry out? I'm sure I would cry out something like, Father, get them, kill them, help me, save me, bring down angels, you know, come and right this wrong. This is so wrong what's happening here. Set it right. But what words come from his mouth? What words do we read? He says in Luke 23, 24, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. He doesn't say, Father, have mercy on me. He says, Father, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Don't give them what they deserve. Don't give. This is the heart of God. This is Jesus at his lowest when he has every right every right to give us what we deserve. He says, no, don't give them what they deserve. That's the God we worship. That's the God we look to for inspiration, for truth, for what is right and wrong. That's the God that inspires us to live like him. If the world was all about justice, an eye for an eye would make us all blind. God says, I've got another way of dealing with injustice. I've got another way of dealing with the hurts and the wrongs in the world. And that's not to pay back evil for evil. It's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It is to show mercy. Don't give what people deserve. Give them what they don't deserve. How? How, you might ask? How on earth do you do that? Well, you can't unless you have received mercy yourself. You can't give it unless you've received it yourself. We're not that good. But each of us, if we stop and reflect, we are all sinners. We all deserve death. And yet God has chosen to shower his mercy on us. That he would withhold that. And and in grace, give us so much more. So much more than what we deserve. So much more. It is the mercy we've received from him that allows us, doesn't it, to extend mercy to others. Who am I to withhold mercy to somebody? Who am I to hold something against someone? Because I dare say there are people here who are holding a grudge against someone, who are not forgiving others, who, who look down their nose at others, who don't reach out with compassion to others because, for whatever reason, because you think that's what they deserve, because that's their problem, whatever the reason. All of us, all of us struggle with this. None of us are God. And yet the mercy of God has to motivate us, has to 
And I want to use this word carefully, inspire us. Because I hope you're inspired this morning. I hope you look and go, wow, the type of world I want to live in is a world of mercy. The kind of person I want to be is someone who shows and gives mercy. Because God has given me so much of it. If that's you, then join me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, your mercy is extraordinary. It's so extraordinary. The patience it takes, the love, the kind, the compassion for you to be merciful to us is just extraordinary. Because God, I get frustrated with myself sometimes, let alone anyone else. So I'm so thankful and I just want to stop and, and pause and say thank you. Thank you for the mercy you have shown to me. Thank you for the mercy you've shown to those I love and care about to my friends, to my family, to my neighbours. Thank you so much. And knowing that we cannot, that we are not you, that we are broken, that we are sinful, but knowing that we are redeemed and that your Holy Spirit dwells within us, that you have given us new life and a new heart and you, there is new creation within us as you are shaping it within us, Father. We pray that we would be able to let your mercy flow through us. If there are relationships that we're aware of right now, give us the courage and the strength to show mercy where it is needed. In the coming days when we are faced with the choice to bring consequence and punishment or mercy help us to choose mercy help us to entrust justice to you and in this give us wisdom there are wrongs that need to be spoken up about that need to be pointed out there are injustices that need to be stopped so we pray for your your wisdom in this we ask it because you love us because you've already died to save us and because you're at work in each and every one of us ask it in the name of christ our lord amen